Welcome to the second episode of the Nineteen Podcast, where we continue to be joined by Sebastian Gallagher. Sebastian, thanks for being here. We wanted to carry on the conversation from last time and really sort of frame what's happening right now. So this is 2022. We have a sort of new old government that has proposed a response to some of the concerns that have been articulated with respect to the insurance system as it exists right now. So I wanted to first ask you, can you tell us what, what are the problems that the government has been tasked to try to fix. As is always the case with the automobile insurance policy and, and the product is the premium. Every single government for decades has promised the Ontario automobile consumer reductions in premium. Right. That's what the goal is every single time and not once has it ever been achieved. Right. And in my conversations with you, it seems like the plan, and I'm using air quotations around that word, is inadequate in terms of trying to even start to resolve that problem of high premiums. Absolutely. This is a unique product. This is a product where our provincial government, on our behalf, participates in a creation of a product to ensure the profitability of a private insurance industry. Right. So we, as citizens, as automobile insurance consumers, should have a bigger voice. Right. And we're going to get into what that voice should be or could be and what things we can do as taxpaying citizens who do have the ability to affect some change. You know, what kind of very explicit and hopefully meaningful things that we can do to, to raise that voice. But I guess before we get there, what is the government's plan right now? The provincial government's plan was released in this past spring. It talks about the success in reducing premiums during pandemic which we all know that did occur, but it doesn't address the obscene profits that were occurring prior to the pandemic. Forget about post-pandemic because that in terms of the premium increases and the profitability has only increased. So their five-point plan to address this on our behalf is completely inadequate. To say this is status quo would, would be an understatement. It actually devalues this product even more. Can you give us a summary of what that five-point plan is? Absolutely. Two of the five relate to consumer choice and whether or not that consumer choice will be realized in premium reductions. But you don't have to really scratch the surface too hard to look at that choice. And every single choice that's being offered to you is reducing coverage. That applies to every insurance product. The more you reduce the coverage and the risks that you're asking the insurance company to protect you from, if you reduce the coverage, well, of course your premiums go down with inflation and the fears of upcoming recession. This product is insufficient. So when you talk about two of the five points in the proposal being about expanding consumer choice, how exactly do they propose to do that? So you're saying offer policies that have less value in terms of coverage and in terms of product that you're still paying a premium for, albeit a lesser premium. So this big idea is, okay, you want to pay less for insurance and you just get less insurance. I mean, it doesn't seem like that's much of a proposal. That's the biggest one. The glaring one right now is the reduction on direct compensation. Direct compensation is basically you're at fault for your own car accident. You're running to whatever. You damage your own vehicle. Well, subject to your deductible, and that could be negotiated You know, for, for whatever amount, they will pay to repair your vehicle. Right. But the problem is what you believe that vehicle is worth to you does not correlate with what the blue book value or what the market will bear on the value of that vehicle. So 
reducing direct comp coverage, that's been advocated since the history of the product. That is not a plan. That is, this is what every insurance company will advocate for you in an effort to reduce premium. What are the other points? And one of them is territorial limits. And territorial limits basically means postal codes. And what postal codes mean as it relates to rating, how is a premium created and quantified based on where a person lives. Right. Well, that's based on actuarial sciences and that's what an insurance company does. They assess risks. Right. So that's never going anywhere. You know, as an example, male drivers under 25. Well, everyone knows that a male driver under 25 will pay more. Well, why? Because they're terrible drivers yeah. and there's a data, the actuarial data proves that. Right. And that's the same thing with the, with the postal code. We may not like it, and we may feel that this is punishing a population of people on based on where they live, but it's the same thing as it's punishing all male drivers under 25. And that's what it, that's what it is. It sounds like maybe some of the strategy behind making these types of proposal is let's give them something that is a hot button topic that from a consumer perspective, or maybe even a lay perspective sounds like it is uh, troubling or something that needs to be addressed. And then Let's put that forth so that it's easy for the respondent, the insurance company, to be like, here you go. Here's all the really good reasons that we do this. No, we're not going to capitulate on this. And it gives them a level of credence and legitimacy without addressing and raising the other very significant issues and elephants in the room that they don't want to have to talk about, that they don't want to have to address. And what I mean by that, I think the big elephant in the room always, and I think this is true whenever we have these conversations, is profit. They have made astronomical profit and they've made very little change to that profit, pandemic or no pandemic. And they just don't want to have to talk about that. They don't want to have to talk about the fact that there is an opportunity for them to just make less money, but still make a lot of money. And so I think this tension between, yes, you know, we want to address consumer protection, we want to address the the concerns that the consumers have, which is they're paying too much money for less coverage, is always going to be up against this idea that it's because the insurance companies just want to make a lot of money. The product that we have a voice in doesn't represent us. And I think when I say call to action, it's every person who drives in this province, it's the, their duty. But I, I call my MPP and I call the Ministry of Finance and I tell them that I'm not happy with this product. And that is my right as a consumer. You are my provincial government. You are there to look after my interests. I need to tell them that they're not doing it. Right. Yeah. It's your right as a consumer. It's your right as a, as a taxpayer. It's your right as somebody who should have a voice in how something that's supposed to be publicly guarded. And it is bizarre. You know, I, again, I, I think about this a lot whenever we have these conversations that it's a bizarre system in which the government has such an active role, as you say, in monitoring, but really assuring the profitability of a private sector. You know, it really is. And I know, you know, we're, we're not here to get into what the alternative might be. There does seem to be a really unequal playing field that has been always regarded as if it's equal, you know, as if these they're they're balancing 
interests that are inherently equal when it's just couldn't be further from the truth. So Sebastian, I wanted to ask you, I think what's probably a fairly simplistic question without a very simple answer. How do the insurance companies get away with this? How have they managed to guard against what is a very obvious and very justified criticism that they just make too much money? Well, the insurance industry has a powerful lobbying group in the Insurance Bureau of Canada. And they are a big voice in the room when creating this product, far bigger than the consumer. And that's what drives the narrative is always on the insurance side. And for years and years, it was fraud. These were driving up the cost and making the product unprofitable. But now they can't say that. Because the 2010 changes and 2016 changes, the numbers just don't support that. What it's pivoted on is the high cost of repairs. When we're talking about the high cost of repairs, one of their big whistles is inflation. Well, inflation makes it so much more difficult for us to make a profit because of the high cost of repairs. Well, let's not forget that inflation cry from us as consumers about best and the biggest, the most important part of this product is people who are injured in a car accident. Whether or not I, you know, I have a fender bender damage to, to my late model Honda is not important. If I'm injured, if my family member is injured in, in a car accident, that's the policy I'm focused. That's what I need to respond. When we tell them this product is insufficient because of inflationary increases, that falls on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. But yet, they want us to listen and embrace the inflationary increases when it comes to their rising cost of repairs. Right. They want us to feel bad that inflation is affecting essentially their bottom line, but they don't want to provide any level of response to how inflation has very much cut at the core of what these policies are supposed to be about. In economically, the same million dollar policy that they provided a 10 years ago or even five years ago, or unfortunately even two years ago now, is just not providing the same level of access to resources and recovery that it would today. And they don't want to talk about that part. No. And they don't want to talk about that insufficient funds for people who are truly injured with life-altering injuries, how that burdens our public system. It it simply does. If you look at the numbers from 2010, 2016, the funds aren't there for automobile accident victims. The assistive device programs, these are all being burdened to our tax dollars. We're paying for these. Right. And in terms of those record profits, there was a lot of noise and headlines throughout the pandemic talking about how insurance companies were essentially suffering because they were providing so much uh, return of premium to consumers, which when you look at it both on an individual basis and I think in the aggregate, although I admit I don't know what the aggregate numbers are, but I certainly didn't receive a huge relief in terms of my premiums, despite the fact that I wasn't driving at all during the pandemic. And I'm assuming, you know, other consumers had the same experience. So how do they get away with that? What what did what does the data and what do the numbers tell us about how much money they were still making? That's a great point. What leads me into another one of the one of the five bullet points that the provincial government is proposing as a, a possible solution is user-based driving. Basically, we've all seen it on TV where it's a chip that you voluntarily put into your car that monitors how far you go. It monitors a lot more than that, which I won't get into now, but that data that they use for premium reductions, because you're not going very far, well, no one needed that chip during the pandemic. That happened. We all weren't driving, and that premium reduction that they're promising in this bullet point for reduced driving just simply didn't happen. We as every single automobile consumer in this province had 
essentially a user-based chip in their vehicle that said, we're not driving a lot. Right. Um, and yet they continue to make a lot of money. A and, lot of money. And since I hesitate to call it a post-pandemic era, but since I guess the tampering down of, of the pandemic, I understand from you and, and sort of looking into the issue, the profits have been, as you say, staggering, um, but really record high. Is that right? Absolutely. I think they're obscene. They're obscene because mm-hmm. we allowed that to happen and we're not getting anything in return. Well, we're getting reduced coverage right. under the guise of consumer choice. Right. Consumer choice. Yeah. So I think the underlying spirit of our conversation is and has always been, well, what do we do in response to these very large issues. It is, from my perspective, litigating medical malpractice cases, this David and Goliath problem is, you know, not unique to the automobile insurance industry. And it is something that we deal with all the time in terms of litigating against very well-resourced defense organizations that respond to medical malpractice claims. And always it's been recognized that there is a, what I've always called a profit problem, right? This idea that, although of course the CMP would always argue that they don't make a profit, that they're there to just have reserves enough to respond to the claims that their members might face, which is a different type of of analysis. But it is a profit problem in, in a certain sense in that the spirit behind both systems and schemes has been to respond to the problems that arise when people are injured right? And the access to resources that people need when they're injured. In the insurance industry, it's whether or not they're at fault. And I know that you're a big proponent of the no-fault system, which we talked about in the previous episode for very good reason. How do we protect the integrity of that system, what it's supposed to be about? And we've talked about contacting your MPP. We've talked about, you know, contacting the Ministry of Finance. But what else can our listeners, whether they're our clients or, you know, our peers, what else can we do to really raise the bar in terms of this discourse and this discussion. Um, I think these conversations are helping, you know, really, really sort of piercing the veil and, and understanding that this is a bigger problem than we think it is. You know, it's, it goes beyond just headlines. What else uh, do you think that we can do to, to really address this? Well, I love your David and Goliath analogy. And while I sort of downplayed my role in terms of what I was able to do as a, as a consumer by contacting my member of parliament and contacting the minister ministry of finance well that's important yeah it, it we we have a goliath it's our government we're not we're not david we have a goliath yeah we should be the goliath you're we right. should be the goliath yeah and we have an equal partner in that room and it's incumbent upon all of us to tell our MPP that we want a voice. Right. Because right now we don't have any, we are not protected. And you know, what if you know your loved one at moments of attention is at fault for their own car accident and mm. changes their lives, changes your life? Well, we've paid for this product. Yeah. We deserve this product, but this product has not moved at the rate of anything and it's been dismantled and it's been devalued. We can make a change. We need to be a Goliath. I think that's a great message. We need to be the Goliath. Well, thanks so much, Sebastian, for your time. I look forward to carrying on the discussion. 